Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of August 6th through the 8th, 2021. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. We've got a delayed episode this week for a number of personal reasons. Uh, first, I started yet another podcast. Uh, this one is called Recommended for You. The idea is that every weekday on Twitter at Rex4UPod, I'll be sharing a different content creator and then go a little bit deeper into why I like them and where you should w- start with their back catalog on the weekend podcast episodes. Uh, this first week is me going over content creators who helped shape the way I think about what content can be in general. Um, I'm sure at some point in the future, I'll have a week about film content creators so make sure you follow there on Twitter and in the podcast feeds. I'll link to those in the show notes. Uh, the second reason for delay, I actually am starting a new full-time job on Monday, so I'm doing my best to soak in the last bits of my quasi-fun employment slash freelance life uh, before then. Uh, so forgive me for taking being a little bit slack with this week's episode. Uh, in light of that, I'm going to try and make this a quicker episode this week, so let's just hop straight into the box office numbers. First up, we have the new new sort of soft reboot, sort of sequel to 2016's DC film Suicide Squad called The Suicide Squad. Uh, great, great marketing differentiation going on there. Uh, the difference here is being that this new version is by Gardens of the Galaxy director James Gunn. This new version opened to $26.2 million in 4,002 theaters for a per theater average of $6,548. So pretty much in line with what some people were predicting given low pre-sale numbers and even a bit below what Box Office Pro's forecast of about $28 million was. Now, at the very least, it's beat the curse of DC films opening lower and lower each iteration by beating Wonder Woman 1984's pre-pandemic $16.7 million. It is also the highest opening for an R-rated film post-pandemic ahead of Mortal Kombat. That being said, it is still the second lowest opening for the DCEU. Birds of Prey pre-pandemic opened to $33 million, and both those films are behind the $94 million of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy back in 2014, uh, and even the PG-13 Suicide Squad from five years ago in 2016 opened to $133 million opening weekend. Both the new Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey are R-rated films, so given that this was also available on HBO Max day and date on Thursday, and given some hesitancy about going out through the Delta variant, uh, there's a bit of a drop-off from Birds of Prey, but that could be justified, especially since it was similar uh, you know, rating. That being said, Birds of Prey did have a budget of only $82 million, while the Suicide Squad is reported to have cost Warner at least $185 million to make, and probably at least another $100 million to market, so that means it's got a longer way to go to profitability if it's ever able to get there. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that this film was a total failure for Warner? Well, financially, certainly it's going to be a loss for them, almost certainly. Um, Even if you go by Samba TV's metrics for streaming viewership, apparently the number of people who watched it in its first weekend is 27% less than the people who watched Mortal Kombat on HBO Max earlier this year, though... That still is good for second most number of people who saw a film on HBO Max opening weekend with Mortal Kombat taking the first, and both did open to about twenty to about twenty three million or slightly above in, in the Suicide Quads case, and both of them still beat out Zack Snyder's Justice League. So hey, at least you got that going for it. Um, but in any case, let's look at some of the silver linings for Warner here, even if uh, it's not going to make money financially and it's not you know the big blockbuster um, HBO Max premiere that they wanted. So you know, first they got James Gunn into their creative fold. While while I may be biased since Guardians of the Galaxy is one of my favorite franchises, I mean, look at my desk, it has like two dozen Groot figure, Funko Pops on it. Uh, James Gunn does have a 
pretty good reputation in Hollywood, with many actors really wanting to be in his films. Uh, DC president Walter Hamada has confirmed that the door is open to James Gunn for future DC projects, so um, this is almost like a relationship building type project for them. Secondly, while the box office flopped in a myriad number of reasons, the film itself isn't actually bad, especially by DC standards. Again, maybe my bias in my review, which I'll give at the end of the episode, but as of recording, it's the second highest DC film on Rotten Tomatoes by critics, at 91%, just below the original Wonder Woman's 93%. And it's also second in audience rating, 84%, though that's against Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League at 94%, so if you don't count that, um, you know, then it would still be ahead of Wonder Woman's uh, 83% for audience rating. Thirdly, uh, and related to the two above, John Cena is now confirmed to be in an upcoming HBO Max TV series based on his character in the film Peacemaker, also directed by James Gunn, set to premiere in January 2022. So that's just more content to feed their HBO Max machine for the long run. Now, the other hope here is that because it has a good word of mouth, it has better legs to help it out financially, though again, that's still going to be a long shot to profitability, um, and it does seem, and you do still have HBO Max cutting into the legs for that, So, but we'll see exactly how the legs are next weekend. It seems, though, based on an interview James Gunn did, it's not like he, while he does before the theatrical experience, he's not as totally anathemic to seeing movies on TV since it helps them build a following over the long years to come. Now, nationally, the Suicide Squad has made about $45 million to date, meaning its cumulative total is just over $70 million. One thing that helps with the idea that it might actually have a good hold is that in markets where it actually opened the two weeks weekends ago um, and is in its second weekend now, it dropped only 25% week over week. So that bodes well for the holds, at least here in the States. It did open number one in Russia, and it, while it, however, it did open uh, behind local thriller Escape from Mogadishu in South Korea, but still pretty strong performance across the board. Uh, moving back to the domestic box office, in second place, we have the second weekend of Disney's Jungle Cruise, dropping 55% to $15.8 million in 4,310 theaters for per theater average of $3,670. Domestic total to date is now $65.4 million. Pretty much assert it's going to beat Space Jam's 2 for the number 6 spot on the domestic film leaderboard. Uh, now, compared to other Disney Plus releases this year and their second week drops, it's still behind Raya and the Last Dragon's 33% and Cruella's 49%, but at the very least, it's not as bad as Black Widow's 67% drop. Now, overall, uh, it's not as bad as 60% some people were fearing, which suggests that the family-friendly of the film is helping it out, leg it out. Uh, overseas, it's now at $56.5 million for a cumulative total of $121.9 million. Third place goes to Old from M. Night Shyamalan and Universal, dropping 40% to $4.1 million, over $10 million less than number two here. Um, this was in 3,138 theaters for a per theater average of $1,312 in its third weekend. Domestic so far is $38.5 million, with another 26.6 abroad, putting at $65.1 million to date worldwide, well above the $18 million production budget here. Fourth place goes to Black Widow in its fifth weekend, uh, $3.9 million in its, fi- in its fifth weekend um, for a 39% drop in 3,100 theaters per theater average of $1,267 and a running total of $174.3 million domestically. For those keeping track of how it fares against other MCU films, that's me, I'm the one keeping track, uh, it's about $20 million ahead of what Ant-Man's fifth weekend at $157 million was, though it made though Ant-Man did make $5.4 million in its fifth weekend, which is still more than Black Widow is making this weekend, and the only reason Black Widow is ahead is because I think the uh, opening weekend was a lot higher, um, but it's also $20 million behind Ant-Man and the Wasp's fifth weekend at $195 million total. 
Um, getting over 171 million does put it past F9's domestic total for the year, uh, which means Black Widow is now the highest grossing domestic film so far. Internationally, Black Widow is now at 185 million abroad, or just under 360 million total, about 100 million behind the number four film internationally, Godzilla vs. Kong, and about $300 million behind F9 at number three. Notably, that there is no China release for Black Widow against F9, which did have one, but we also don't really have a release date yet for that. There's no real update on the on the lawsuit from Scarlett Johansson against Disney at this point. There's a lot of think pieces out there from various publications, chiming in from relevant third parties on whichever side they support. Disney's saying they're going to move to arbitration, so yeah, we don't really know, uh, you know where that's panning out, but we probably won't for a while anyway. Now, there's a report from Nielsen that Black Widow was only third in streaming this weekend it came out, with 541 minutes seen, while Pixar's Luca, released for free versus having to pay for it on Disney+, Plus, had 800 million, dollar, 800 million minutes in its fourth weekend, and Chris Pratt's Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime was at 1.1 billion minutes in its second weekend. Rounding out the top five is Matt Damon's indie film Stillwater from Focus Features in its second weekend, dropping 45% to 2.8 million in 2611 theaters, a per theater average of 1083, um, and the second best and the best second weekend drop this week. Cumulative total is just about 10 million domestically, uh, without any international releases just yet. Outside of the top 10 this weekend, we had some other notable films. Uh, Green Knight dropped over 60% in its second place to sixth place. Not surprising given the super weird nature of that film, though. Apparently, I think uh, next week, A24 is actually going to be screening it for one day only in their virtual screening rooms. Um, in addition, uh, Snake Eyes G.I. Joe, due to its terrible performance, going uh, from 1148 uh, per theater average to 809 per theater average this weekend, dropped nearly 1,500 theaters in its third weekend. Uh, we also got the release of the Korean film I mentioned a bit ago, Escape from Mogadishu, which opened in 42 theaters to $65,000, a 1548 per theater average, which honestly isn't bad for a foreign film in a limited release. Overall, the total box office for this weekend was $62.6 million. Uh, this coming weekend, we have three wide releases. Sony's horror film, Don't Breathe 2. Uh, box Office Pro has an opening to 11 to $16 million. The original film from 2016 opened to $26 million on a $10 million budget, went on to gross $89 million domestically, $158 million worldwide. So, you know, off of a cheap budget like that, uh, definitely seems like it's a, a good move for them to try to make that. Um, no word yet on what the budget for this film was. Um, the second wide release is the Aretha Franklin biopic from United Artists starring Jennifer Hudson called Respect. Uh, it's forecast for $8 to $18 million. And my personal pick for what I'm most excited for uh, a good comparable there would be 2014's Get On Up, uh, the James Brown biopic, biopic starring the late uh, Chadwick Boseman. That opened to $13 million on a $30 million budget um, and went on to make $30 million domestically. Um, so that seems like a good comparable there. Um, and then the biggest opening next weekend is a Free Guy from Disney and 20th Century Studios starring Ryan Reynolds. Uh, notably, this one does not have a Disney Plus premiere access release. So we'll be getting the question answered in a couple of weeks, uh, in you know two weekends from now now of how much uh, Premiere Access actually impacts the drops and whether not having Premiere Access might look like to be a better long-term move. Box Office Pro has it forecast to make between 15 to $35 million. While it doesn't seem uh, like much, but you know, considering it is a brand new IP of a movie, though, does build off of, I guess, the Ryan Reynolds brand. Um, you know, this is something hopeful to see, especially if you're like me, hoping to see a strong performance at the box office. Uh, so far, word of mouth for Free Guy is pretty positive with 85% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh as of the time of recording. 
And lastly, we don't have a ton of headlines outside of Japan. Uh, over there, it's the first four day in their first four days, um, Friday through Monday, because of a, a Monday weekend, a holiday weekend. Um, the My Hero Academia World Heroes Missing Movie opened to about 8.5 million US dollars with 720,000 tickets. Over the three days, I believe it was close to 5.1 million US dollars. Um, the previous My Hero Academia anime films opened to 3.8 million dollars over its first three days and went on to make 16.2 million with current exchange rates. So this new film is set to be the highest grossing of the franchise to date for sure. Uh, that said, this was a number two opening behind F9, which op- took number one in Japan with $6.8 million over the three days. Now, that being said, in a poll of Japanese moviegoers, over 50% saying they said they were unlikely to go back to the movie theaters, with only 18% at least probably likely to go. Uh, we've also got news that a couple of delayed films uh, in Australia um, are delayed till December, uh, specifically Venom 2 and Dear Evan Hansen. Now, moving over to China, we have a couple of big headlines. Uh, the first being that our first Hollywood release date since June has been announced. Pixar's Luca nabbing an August 20th release date, um, giving them you know a bit longer of a, of a lead up before their actual release, about a week of marketing. Uh, no word yet on whether other films like Black Widow, Space Jam 2, Jungle Cruise, or Free Guy, or even if Shang-Chi uh, getting a release date. Um, though apparently Shang-Chi isn't super light in China, so who knows if they're going to actually try hard in China. Um, secondly, due to a surge of COVID within the country, various regions such as Wuxi near uh, Shanghai are seeing much as much of 30% of the nation's movie theaters being shut down, with the capacity limits of 75% being put into place. Um, so it's going to be a bit down into the box office uh, as the Hollywood films start coming back. Um, a major domestic release about the Korean War, the Battle of Lake uh, Changjin, uh, has been delayed from an August 12th release date, and the Be- Beijing Film Festival and the Jackie Chan International Action Film Week have also been delayed, uh, with the Beijing Film Festival suffering its second delay since its original April uh, schedule date. So far, China is operating at about 17% below its 2019 pre-pandemic box office levels for the year. Looking at China's box office numbers, uh, in first place we have the Hong Kong Donnie Yen action film Raging Fire, repeating its number one spot in its second weekend, dropping only 38% to 21.6 million US dollars, running total of 83 million. Uh, I think I actually saw that this one is actually going to be released uh, this coming weekend here in the States by WellGo USA, so maybe we'll get to see how it performs here in the States. Uh, in second place, youth drama Midsummer Fast Future in its uh, second weekend dropped 71% in its second weekend to $6 million for a running total of $35.4 million US dollars. Uh, third place saw the animated film White Snake 2 Green Snake making $5.2 million in its third weekend for a running total of $67.8 million. Uh, fourth place saw the month-long run of Chinese Doctor close to $2 million, a cumulative total of $197 million to date. And then in fifth place, we got a really weird one. The 2020 British Lion Gate Christmas drama in August, mind you, uh, called A Christmas Gift from Bob, a sequel to the 2016 film about a recovering drug addict who befriends a cat named a street cat named Bob. Uh, this one made about a million dollars in its opening weekend, but still, this is just weird that, you know, it's a weird choice to be the first foreign film allowed back in the theaters in China, a Christmas movie in August. Um, anyway, uh, as far as the rest of the headlines go, uh, you know, in general, we got a couple quarterly earning reports from Exhibition. Uh, AMC reported $444 million in revenue in Q2 versus uh, $18.9 million from a year prior. Uh, still operating at a loss, but down to only $345 million of loss versus $561 million, or about $0.71 cents per share loss versus $5.38 worth of share per loss. 
These numbers did beat estimates of only uh, 382 in revenue, million in revenue, and 94 cents loss per share. Um, uh, Cinemark also had their earning exp- uh, beat beat their earnings expectations in Q2, making 294 million dollars versus nine millions from a, from a year ago, with expectation uh, with beating revenue expectations by 23. percent uh, That said, their losses of 119 per share um, is not is is a little bit worse than the 113 loss per share that analysts were expecting, though still better than the 145 uh, a share loss uh, versus a year ago. Uh, some other AMC related news. Apparently, they're going to be accepting Bitcoin as payment at the end of the, by the end of the year, uh, which means I guess that makes sense given the kind of people who are likely to, you know, since they're courting their investors, um, the people who are likely to ride the Wall Street bets AMC wave are probably the people who are also interested in cryptocurrency. Uh, but more relevant to this podcast, AMC also signed a deal with Warner Brothers for a 45 day theatrical window starting in 2022. Uh, probably known already with Warner having signed a similar deal back in April with Regal Cinema, so not that groundbreaking, but still just some confirmation of 45 days windows being the new normal moving forward. Uh, also in corporate news, uh, not strictly exhibition, but the Sony uh, Sony completed its acquisition of AT&T's streaming platform uh, for anime Crunchyroll after the DOJ investigations of possible monopoly looks like it cleared them. Uh, this was a billion-dollar acquisition. It looks like they're planning on having a single streaming service in the future um, in conjunction with their current Funimation streaming platform. All good, well and good for Sony, which doesn't have a major film streaming service like other studios. It looks like they're definitely leaning into streaming as uh, a platform for Predominantly for very for more niche markets, I wouldn't say a billion dollar platform uh, makes makes anime niche anymore. And then finally, we have the big headline, of course, being the Delta variant. As it relates to movie theaters, uh, we don't have any cities aside from the new, from New York passing a vaccine mandate for movie theaters yet. Although the LA Council is reportedly considering such a mandate, um, which would be a big deal as the movie market in LA is bigger is the biggest in the country, um, with NYC being the second largest. Uh, NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, seems to be on board with that possibility. Or at the very least, they're not going to reject or oppose those rules, um, even if they won't strongly advocate for it, just because they say, hey, people should be getting vaccinated. Um, now, it looks like, uh, you know, the, according to a Hollywood Reporter article about it, that there will not be an exception for these vaccine mandates for kids under 12 who can't be vaccinated, uh, which is most likely going to hurt the family-friendly films from September onward, uh, namely the Adams Family film, um, as well as Hotel Transylvania. So who knows what those films are going to end up doing. It also looks like corporate America is going to be pushing for the vaccination effort requiring their employees to be vaccinated, such as Viacom CBS, who announced that they were pushing back their back-to-office date, but but also requiring all employees to be vaccinated and masked when they do return. Also, the FDA is apparently uh, aiming to give official approval for the Pfizer vaccine sometime next month, since uh, apparently there's a big reason for vaccine hesitancy is that people are saying, oh, it's just an emergency authorization. It's not full approval. Well, with this approval, hopefully that clears at least some people, uh, um, you know, misgivings with the vaccine and the vaccine and taking it. So we can all go back to movie theaters and have big numbers uh, when movies uh, have the opening weekends. In any case, before we wrap, uh, let me review the Suicide Squad plus one bonus movie uh, in the segment, What Have I Been Watching? Mild spoilers ahead. 
So, as I mentioned, uh, I saw James Gunn's The Suicide Squad in theaters Thursday night. Honestly, it was probably the most full my local theater had been post-pandemic, um, even more so than Black Widow. Um, as far as the film itself, I'm a big fan of James Gunn after what he's done for Guardians of the Galaxy, and while I haven't seen his gorier stuff, I know that's actually his origins as a filmmaker. So, here with an R-rated film version of a bunch of misfit anti-heroes slash villains who could probably be killed off at any moment, uh, he got them to lean into that his two sides as a filmmaker. Compared to the original Suicide Squad, this one did a much better job of making the Suicide Squad at least somewhat likable despite, you know, how not great people they are. It's like a lovable uh, rogue of, of scamps, um, kind of like, again, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, in particular, the characters of King Sark and Ratcatcher 2 had a real Groot slash Rocket Raccoon vibe to them. On the flip side, it also was Ilya able to dig into the blood and gore you'd want to see from a franchise like this, holding almost nothing back, especially given the Suicide's reputation for offing a large number of its members in order for the stock value the first Suicide Squad just did not have enough gore for what it should have been. As far as the climax of the film with the big bad, um, it really leans into some of the bizarre, campy stuff that you can see in comic book stories, which again, Gunn really understands the medium and, you know, I think that he was able to get, create these these images, these these scenes, these dioramas of just these crazy moments um, that felt like it came out of a comic book, very cinematic. Um, while also, you know, not being so bleak, which, you know, people say, oh, Zack Snyder is great at creating these images. I think James Gunn is just as good, if not better, because, you know, it doesn't lean into the stark bleakness and the and the, and the palette that, that Zack Snyder tries to do. It, it made all those moments feel really earned. Speaking of another contrast to Snyder, he also even tries to include some meaningful messaging in the film about American imperialism abroad. I say tries to because, yes, if there is a complaint about the film, it's that it doesn't really commit to that message, per se. It's very muddled by the very end. But at least it very tries, at least at least tries in the middle to, to, to hint at it. The other big complaint I have is that, you know, post-credit scenes basically feels, as I noted, uh, in like a big advertisement for HBO Max's upcoming Peacemaker series. All being told, though, it's a viscerally, viscerally enjoyable visual experience. While I don't think it's the best film from an artistic, structural point of view, it is certainly one of the most thrilling of the year, um, especially with, you know, James Gunn's, uh, you know, use of soundtrack throughout the film as well. I, I forgot to mention that. But it's, it's, uh, it's one of the most thrilling, enjoyable films of the year. I would expect it to be in my top three most enjoyable of the year. Overall, four out of five. Now, a quickie bonus review. Uh, my wife was feeling like watching a horror film on Saturday. We ended up settling on Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead on Netflix with Dave Bautista. Apparently, Dave Bautista had actually turned down working with his boy James Gunn on the Suicide Squad in order to develop his relationship with Netflix. Um, in any case, he was it was certainly a film. Uh, Dave Bautista, as always, gives his all in whatever role he's in. Though nothing really stands out to me about the film a couple days later, aside from the character of the German lockpicker, um, but it was a fairly bog-standard action-packed zombie film, as bog-standard as those could be. Almost too standard to the point where we could pretty much pick out the plot beats before they happened. Um, and, you know, there wasn't really that, you know, visual spectacle that you would want from James Gunn, or from, sorry, it's from Zack Snyder to the degree that, you know, you wanted it to be. And again, also the fact that Dave Bautista's character's daughter was the only one to really survive at the end, even if she was the most ignoring and the one causing all the problems. Kind of rubbed me the wrong way, um, me and my wife the wrong way. Um, but uh, I will say the CGing of Tignataro in post production uh, to replace a, uh, a sexual assault, um, you know, uh, uh, um, perpetrator was uh, pretty flawless. Even if you know, I know knew what I was looking for. You know, it still was pretty flawless and kind of mind blowing. Um, so props to them for that. Overall, I gave the film a two out of five on Letterboxd. 
And with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Super movie ideas for Dice would cover next via email at boxofficewattspodcast at zmlaw.com or on Twitter at BOWattspodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review, or at the very least tell a friend, any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, considering supporting us on Patreon, which lets me make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on. Links to all of that, as well as my little box in the show notes. Uh, numbers you can do so come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at thecompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. Remember, our watch goes on. Yeah.